Good afternoon, thank you once again for joining me, Julian Campbell here, and we've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program we're going to be talking with Christina Sikiotis from the Hunter TAFE about uh, uh, in a minute on innovation. We're going to talk about technology and how it might be affecting our brain power. We're also talking with Tony Vidray from AV Chartered Accountants about identity theft, and particularly as it relates to uh, your tax lodgements. But right now we're going to have a chat with Jeff Walker from Newcastle Permanent about are you ready for the un- unexpected? Good afternoon, Jeff. Good afternoon, Julian. And thank you once again for joining us. My pleasure. So uh, it's an interesting subject. Are we ready for the unexpected? From a business p- perspective, how can we prepare for the unexpected? Uh, it's a really interesting topic, Julian, and probably it depends on how we define the word unexpected. And generally that means it's something which is unplanned or we haven't planned for. And really as a business, part of our planning should be around the risks to our business, the perceived risks and the ways in which we want to mitigate or reduce those risks. So therefore, to effectively plan, we also need to look at the likelihood of a certain risk happening. In essence, the unexpected would be those items which have the lowest likelihood of happening. Despite this, there probably are essential foundations required in any business which should be in place at all times. And if I could just give you an example, Mm. uh, general insurance. So to cover things such as fire, theft, burglary, public liability, professional indemnity, loss of earnings, etc. So if you've got these foundations in place, they will certainly uh, help in most cases of, of the unexpected. Now, I suppose if we look at an example of unexpected, that would be this week with the superstorm Sandy in the mm, USA. Mm. Um, this was a once-in-a-300-year event, which um, probably a, a storm wouldn't be seen as unexpected, but a storm of this magnitude was unexpected. And when you have a look at the impact of it, it wasn't just the storm itself. It was the, the fires, the floods, the impact on businesses actually being closed. So what we're saying is if you've got the foundations in place, such as your insurance, uh, that would cover the damage caused by the fire or by floods um, and by the business actually not operating. And in in essence, what we're saying, by planning, um, you've actually got uh, options in place. If you don't have plans in place, if you don't um, have a plan B or a, a procedure to follow, the only option you've got is to actually close the business. So if we empathise with the people in New York and USA at the moment, those business owners would be making that decision as to whether to continue on or not. And if they don't have some of these things in place, uh, there's only one answer to that. And, of course, we've had similar situations in Australia and uh, really how many people have got Plan B in place or even on insurance? Yeah, and uh, you'll probably recall the earthquake in, in Newcastle. Newcastle. I can certainly remember the impact of that um, on businesses, and it took... Um, several weeks and months to actually get things back to normal. Well, well one of the other areas, of course, is uh, uh, we lose the, the people at the top. How, how important is sex succession planning for a business and when should that be implemented? Um, it, it's actually crucial and, and the planning for that should start right at the beginning. It should start from when you acquire a business. Uh, it's important to have an exit plan in place and once again, there should be a plan B because no matter what plans you have, uh, they don't necessarily work the way you, you hope they're going to. Um, there needs to probably be clear communication between the stakeholders within a business as to the expectation as to what's going to happen to the business. Um, in my role, I see a lot of people that say that their business is their retirement and that their retirement will be funded by the business. However, when you, when you speak to people a bit further about it, 
this is where they're making assumptions that um, the timing of it, so it will happen at a certain time, and they're assuming they will have a willing buyer to pay the price that they're looking at. Yeah. So uh, uh, the timing may not happen when they're expecting it to. Mm. This is where um, illness, um, major illness, accidents, etc., come into place. So it's important to know um, and have Plan B in place so that you can extract yourself from the business if you need to. And I think another thing, Julian, that's coming through is that um, with the lack of communication, um, a lot of us are making assumptions that our children will want to take over a business from us. Mm. And a lot of Generation X and Generation Y actually have a different approach to work and the personal work-life balance. Mm. They may not necessarily want to be a business owner, and here we may be going through business thinking we're preparing it all for our children to take over, yet when it comes to the crunch, our children may not want to to actually have that business. Mm. And obviously, especially if a person is a sole trader or a small business, who who would they they speak with? How would they plan this for the unexpected? Um, basically, it's engaging the professionals, the various professionals that you, you currently deal with. So it's your solicitor uh, who can look at leases, contracts, agreements, such as buy-sell agreements, uh, making arrangements and formalised arrangements, speaking to your accountant. And a lot of people see their accountant just being there for taxation purposes, but they can also provide details about trends, analysis, what's happening in your particular industry, uh, what risks are involved. For example, if you've got limited suppliers or limited uh, speaking to your financial planner or advisor, particularly in regard to preparing for your retirement and having personal and business risk insurance in place, and possibly too for uh, key per, uh, employees that work within your business. And finally, probably your business coach or mentor. So, uh, what they'll be able to do is take a helicopter view and look at it from an objective viewpoint. Mm. And probably the last uh, people to involve is actually the key stakeholders within your business, which is um, basically your employees. Nice. Yep, good. Well, uh, I believe the uh, Business Development Forum for the Hunter Business Chamber next th- next Wednesday, that uh, they're having a panel session with yourself there. Are you ready for the unexpected? Yeah, yeah, we, we certainly are, and it should be an interesting one. We've also got Sarah Cook uh, from Lake Macquarie Council there and Wayne Lennon uh, from Insurance for Living. So we're looking forward to it. It should be uh, fun but also informative. Fantastic. Well, thanks for your time, Jeff. We'll talk to you another time. Thanks, Julian. Thank you. Bye-bye. See you. And that was Jeff Walker there from Newcastle Perm, who is a panel member at the Hunter Business Chamber's Business Development Forum next Wednesday. Are you ready for the unexpected? And it's 22 minutes past one. You're listening to Business, the Law and You on 2NURFM 103.7. Time to go over to Tony Vidre, AV Chartered Accountants. Have a chat. Good afternoon, Tony. Hi, Gillian. How are you? I'm well, thank you. That's good. It was music to my ears to hear your previous listener talking about uh, using accountants more, and uh, there should be more of it. <laughs> and and other professionals, he said. Oh, did he? I missed that last part. Yeah, I just glossed over glossed over the facts. Okay, now I'm a, I'm a bit concerned why some of these refunds aren't coming out of the tax office. Yes, yes, they're having a bit of a problem. There was an article in the uh, in the paper and a, and a tax office alert a couple of days later that apparently. Uh, up to 23,000 um, tax file numbers have been uh, compromised in this 2012 run of financial um, year data. So, uh, so people's refunds have been held up, and and of course, you know, families struggling and waiting for the refund to come through, or having to wait longer because um, the ATO have sort of pulled those out of the the automatic processing to do a little bit more manual checking to see if there's some there's some problems. And and some of the stuff they're finding is this is the the out and out fraud. 
and the compromising of, um, of TFNs, um, if we can use the acronym, that where someone has already stolen the tax file number, lodged a return, say, in July, and then all of a sudden the, the honest person goes along to lodge their return in, say, August, and the ATO says, hang on a minute, there's already been a tax return lodged under that uh, tax file number. So, yeah. so it's creating all sorts of grief for the, uh, for the honest people again, sadly. Yeah, and uh, is this do you know if this is online or this is a manual systems or you know it doesn't doesn't matter. Uh, doesn't really doesn't really say. I guess once they've got a hold of the tax file number, mm. um, they can lodge returns online. There's a you know, product that the tax office encouraged for for people doing their own returns called eTax. They could do it that way. I don't think too many paper returns going. I'd say the um, the fraudulent people would be using the technology to try and get that tax refund turned around as quickly as possible and then disappear off the uh, off the scene. But the problem, of course, once you you know once you compromise someone's tax file number, you do have access to all their data and and what is happening is that they uh, they then apply for loans and credit cards and all sorts of all sorts of things under you know under your name mm. and then you spend the next two or three years trying to clean up the mess and, and get your name off the Credit Reference Association website to say that you're a bad payer or that you defaulted on a on a loan mm. or the non payment of a credit card. So it's a real it's a real mess and it's a real issue. And you you had an incident recently in your office where uh, there was a bit of danger of losing an identity? Well, that's right. It's a, here's an anecdotal story for you. You know, we, we would prepare um, returns, and what happened in this particular case was we sent out a package of information to one of our clients, and it was probably about an inch, an inch and a half thick, and uh, it didn't fit in the letterbox and the people weren't home. So what we would have thought would have happened was that a, a little you know, a card would have gone into the envelope to say, please come down to the post office and pick it up. Um, but sadly, uh, this particular employee the, of Australia Post put it on the, on the, the other person's veranda. And uh, we got a, quite a distressed phone call to say that the package had been ripped and opened, and uh, it sort of sent us into a bit of a, a bit of a frenzy. And it allowed us to rethink our whole, you know, systems about sending things out to PO boxes or, or, or you know, electronically mailing some of this stuff, sending emails through, or you know, sending PDF documents through rather than actually the uh, the paper mail. And um, you know, we put a complaint into Australia Post, which we thought they handled quite poorly actually they virtually shrugged their shoulders and said well that's what we do well that's what some of them do which i didn't think was quite um quite good enough but when you think about it the danger there yeah. is that you have a package of information with uh with uh, names addresses tax file numbers uh dates of birth addresses uh bank statements you, you virtually got the whole kit to uh, to to steal somebody's identity so it was very embarrassing from uh, from our point of view, so yeah, we had to change our systems around and make sure we only posted PO boxes or or sent uh, things through registered mail. And that does, of course, bring in the the privacy issues, doesn't it? Well, it does, and the Privacy Act is causing a few headaches. I mean, it's all, it's it has good intentions, but for example, were you aware that it's illegal for me to email you a document with your tax file number on it? No, no, it wasn't. Even though your email may be secure. Um, there's, a, there's a risk of emails getting hacked. And so the Privacy Act basically says that it's not allowed to be done. Now, the people who, who've told us this story, they virtually, you know, they sort of, uh, what do you call it, uh, watered down their, their presentation by saying, look, we know everybody does it, but at the end of the day, it's illegal and it's mm. something that the tax office are aware of that a lot of people um, do. And, and for example, from our point of view, and this again is part of the identity theft, um, if you're going for a loan, for example, and you've got a finance broker and the broker rings me up and says, oh, can you, can you please send over all of, uh, you know, all the tax returns, then, you know, we as a firm, we send those over. Now, the software updates in the last couple of years have allowed us to actually um, delete the tax file number quite easily. Okay. 
off the document, yeah, there's a button that we can press with or without the uh, the tax file number. So a lot of that stuff that goes to banks and brokers now should be sent without the tax file number. However, if if I'm sending something to you and it's you know your document, um, we're very we're very wary about sending them to say Hotmail accounts or or even Gmail accounts because yeah. they're they're quite prevalent in Texas. getting in getting hacked and. Mm. Uh, it's yeah. You don't want your um, you don't want your tax affairs hacked. Right. Well, thanks for your time, and that's a very interesting subject there. And next week we won't catch you, so we'll talk to you in two weeks. See you in two weeks' time. Good Thank on you. Thanks, Bye-bye. Julian. Cheers. Tony Vidray there from AV Chartered Accountants. Yeah, it's uh, identity theft. We just don't think about it sometimes, but uh, very vulnerable. Well, now it's one thirty, and time to pop over to the Hunter TAFE to speak to Christina Sikiotis, Project Manager of Create and Innovate. Good afternoon, Christina. Hi, Julian. And one, an interesting subject you've got for us this afternoon and how technology might be affecting our brain power. Yeah, well, there's a very interesting article in the Australian Financial Review from Oxford University by neuroscientist Susan Greenfield about technology shortcutting brain power. We're on a warning from neuroscience that the human brain adapts to its environment and there's many signs that we're addicted to technology. Greenfield mentions a survey that shows 91% of teachers believe children's attention spans are becoming shorter because of the multiple screen-based activities they're taking part in. Children are engaged in very little imaginative play and the survey found that children are spending three times as much time in front of screens as they do reading. Not only that, but think about the duration of the shots that you see now in movies and on cartoons. Some shots change every couple of seconds compared to the older cartoons say even Pokemon or Dragon Ball Z cartoons of 10 years ago and especially the Simba the White Lion or the Flintstones cartoons of 20 years ago our brains expect constant change and the resulting children is incomplete formation of pathways and the empathy centers aren't developing for starters the fact that we spend less time in face-to-face contact and more time in front of screens could also signal potential problems understanding body language effectively working in teams all kinds of things there's an argument that we'll be very good at processing multitudes of information but very poor at understanding and poor at empathy. In fact, in 2010, the University of Michigan released a study that found that college students had empathy levels 40% lower than their counterparts had 20 or 30 years ago, and the biggest decline has been since the year 2000. We need to be really clever, Julian, about how we use and how we engage with technology. It's an innovation that's brilliant and has closed up the world and is here to stay, but we also have to be careful that those sci-fi movies that depict technology running us don't seem that far-fetched on some days. Yeah, and it's always that. There's always two sides to a coin, isn't there? There's a, there's a lot of things that are invented for the good, but there's always that other side to it. Yeah, well, I think I think we just get used to taking things on and then taking them to the nth degree and, yeah. and to the extreme, and becoming too reliant on them sometimes too. That's absolutely correct. Fantastic. Well, thanks for your time again, Christina. We'll have a chat with you again next week. Thanks, Julian. I look forward to it. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye. Christina Sikiach is there telling us about that technology and how it might affect our brain power. And, yeah, it could have an impact. And we've just got time for one of those little uh, tips from the Harvard Business Review. And uh, one of the situations we often have is, how do I really select the person in a job interview? Well, this one is entitled, Why Projects Work Better Than Interviews. Can you really find out what you need to know about a job candidate in an hour-long interview? Probably not. No amount of interviewing, reference checking and psychology testing is a substitute for actually working with a candidate on a real project. 
Next time you're hiring, consider giving your top candidates a constrained project to evaluate. Ask them to redesign a social media campaign, document a tricky bit of software, edit a keynote presentation or produce a webinar. Look at the results and decide which candidates are able to deliver real value. This doesn't just benefit you as the hiring manager. Candidates will learn what it's like to really work with you and your company. Taken from a little book, Projects Are the New Job Interviews by Michael Sharing. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you enjoyed the program. We've looked at Are You Ready for the Unexpected with Jeff Walker from Newcastle Permanent and uh, there is a breakfast next week at the Hunter Business Chamber. We've also spoken about the uh, the dangers of identity theft there with Tony Vidray. In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we're going to be talking business law with someone from White Law MacDonald. We'll enter the world of tax and uh, we'll also have that minute on innovation with Christina Sikiotis, some of those little tips to motivate you and improve your business. I'd love your company again at the same time for business, the law and you. Until then, have a safe and prosperous week, and as Albert Einstein once said, we are boxed in by the boundaries of our thinking. <laughs>